Hi everyone, welcome to church this morning. I hope you've had a good service so far and maybe you've, got a, maybe you've had the chance to gather with five friends for church. Um, I hope you're having a good time anyway. You know, I'm not sure that there is a more well-known story in the Bible than David and Goliath. It's got it all, I think. It's got drama, excitement, anticipation, a little bit of violence, if you like that sort of thing. Is the good guy defeating the bad guy against all odds? If you've, had, if you've only heard of one Bible story, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the one. Now, many of us probably heard it from a children's storybook, uh, but the story doesn't come to us like that, does it? Like with nothing before or nothing after. No, no, no. The story of David and Goliath comes to us in the context of a critical moment in Israel's history. The leadership of the nation was in serious trouble. In 1 Samuel 12 verse 1, a few chapters back now, Saul had been appointed as the nation's first king as the people demanded. Remember, uh, they believed to have a king like the other nations would bring security and stability in these precarious times. Problem was, Saul, Saul was disobedient to God. And so God had rejected him as king. Now, 1 Samuel 15 verse 26. Although he was still working as the, the, you know, the people's king 9 to 5, if you see what I mean. Well, a couple of weeks back, we read that a new king had been chosen in chapter 16. David had been secretly anointed in Bethlehem by the prophet Samuel. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord had rushed upon, rushed upon him in power. So now we come to chapter 17 and this great account of David and Goliath. We're going to be spending four, well, four Sundays, if you like, on this, uh, this chapter, this moment in history. I, I think it'll be worth it, spending the time in it, and um, I hope you'll, you'll join us each week. Well, today in verses 1 to 11, the people of Israel face up to a massive threat of the Philistines, uh, or more precisely, really one really scary Philistine. But there's hope, right? Remember uh, that the reason the people asked for a king was that the king might go out before us and fight our battles. 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 20 says, so the people felt the need for a king because of the threats that surrounded them. National security seemed to be the primary motivation uh, to demand for them, behind their demand for a king. But what Israel had forgotten was that God... God had always been there to deliver them from their enemies. Only when they forgot him did their enemies get the upper hand. A good example is back in chapter 4, if you want to read that at another, another time. But whenever they turned their back to the Lord, sorry, whenever they turned back to the Lord uh, to, to follow him, remember him, well, he delivered them. Well, now as we read, the most obvious threats to God's people were their enemies which of course led to great insecurity and fear. But the truth is, the more sinister threats to Israel did not actually come in the form of armies. The real danger to God's people was forgetting the Lord their God and then following other gods. That was the real danger to God's people. Israel feared the armies they could see with their eyes. But there was a much greater threat 
to the security of God's people. Well, nevertheless, this story, of course, begins with a most fearful and visible threat to the people of Israel. Uh, It's fair to say that insecurity is part of life in this world, isn't it? Uh, We we face threats. So uh, COVID-19, coronavirus is a good example of a threat that we face. Of course, there's been wars. There are wars. There there are natural disasters. And sadly, sometimes threats or fear uh, comes from, from people, even people who are close to us. What do you fear? What do you fear? In fact, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a moment to share with the people around you, if you're meeting with some people today, the things you fear? Uh, I could give you a list of the things that I fear. Um, I don't like spiders very much, I'll be honest with you, but I'm okay with snakes. How does that work out? Um, I'm, sometimes I'm a bit scared when I go surfing. If it's very, very big, I'm, I'm afraid of being held down for too long or having a wipeout and smashing up against the rocks. I fear that a little bit. What do, what do you fear? Okay, why don't you press pause, take a moment and, uh, and share amongst yourselves. Keep it as light or as heavy as you like as you share. Okay, I'll leave you to it just for a moment. How'd you go? Well, uh, how, are we going to fa- how are we going to think about the threats that we face? How do we go about thinking about those threats? And are these dangers we fear our greatest dangers? What should we fear? Where and how are we going to find security? They're big questions, aren't they? Let's be honest, they're big questions. And God's word in 1 Samuel 17 will give us big answers, I think. But first, well, let's go to this big scene. The, the geographical detail in uh, verses 1 and 2 and 3 uh, really point to, uh, points us to the Valley of Elah as the location of the battle. It's a big valley. It's a wide expanse. Uh, this is what it looks like today. I've got a picture up. I must admit, for some reason, it reminds me of that, you know, that about 10, 15 years ago, there was a beer ad, um, a Carlton Draft beer ad. It's probably one of the best ads going around on TV. It's a big ad. Remember that? I'll give you a taste. Here it is. Well, here in, uh, here in 1 Samuel 17, TV ads aside, in his abundance of detail, the author doesn't want us to miss the occasion. This was quite a sight, quite a sight. It was a big scene. So verse 1, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Hold on, here we go again. The Philistines, war against the Philistines. It's a common theme in Israel's history. But at least now they had a king for such a time, right? Yeah, Saul. Indeed, that was why he was made king. 
But Saul's success so far had been mixed when it comes to the Philistines. And that's being generous, I think. The summary of Saul's reign at the end of chapter 14 told us that there was bitter fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. So when we read these opening words in chapter 17, well, they are a reminder that Saul has failed to do what he, what he was made king to do. Israel's enemy was alive and well and threatening once more. So the Philistines, verse 1, had assembled at Soko in Judah. Uh, Judah, that's Israelite territory. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Soko and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. It's interesting that Saul is just mentioned as assembled with the other Israelites. Did you see that? There's not even a hint of leadership from Saul. It's not a good sign. An even worse sign is this big, this colossal man in armour threatening the Israelites with his sheer presence. So verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Now literally champion means man of the between. In other words, it's a vivid way of describing anyone who comes forward from the, the front line and stands between the two armies as a, as a challenger, as a, a champion, you see. Whatever way you look at him, Goliath was huge. He was a great threat. If there was the world's strongest man competition, by the way, one of my favourite competitions going around, these guys are just amazing, enormous, oh, love it. But if there was one of those back in the 11th century, uh, Goliath would surely have won hands down. And then there was his armour. You might remember the Philistines had a monopoly on metalworking in those days, and so Philistine armour was next level. 1 Samuel 17 verse 5, he had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armour on, on, of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung around on his back. Now the detail here is a little unusual for biblical narrative. We don't usually get this much. Now, clearly, the author's purpose is for us to be impressed. You know, just his upper body armour would have weighed around 60 kilos. The man's defences gave all the appearance of being impenetrable. He stood there like a one-man, indestructible fortress. And we haven't even mentioned his weapons yet. Look at verse 7. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, probably about my height, about that, just the shaft of the spear. And, then, and its iron point weighed around 600 shekels, so give or take around seven kilograms. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. More protection. The narrator certainly, hasn't, certainly provided, he has provided a great deal of detail on Goliath's weaponry and armour, 
more than any Israelite would have seen when they first saw him from a distance. There's no doubt about that. In other words, we get a close-up view from the narrator of this menacing giant with all the intricate detail of his armour and weaponry. But how did the narrator, don't you wonder, how did the narrator get this information? Have you ever wonder that? Well, spoiler alert, yes. We know what happens at the end, don't we? So this narrator clearly got a much closer inspection then. In any case, imagine this man, a colossal, powerful, apparently indestructible, menacing figure. Now, are you imagining all this so far? I hope you are. Add to what you see by what you hear him say. Across the great expanse of the Elah Valley, the Philistines' voice thundered with threats. Now, first, there was this threatening question. Why did you even bother turning up? That's the type of question it is. Goliath is taunting the Israelites. So verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? I don't want to shout it out too much because the speaker you're listening through will probably go nuts. And then he says, I'm, am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? It's really an insult. It's what he's doing. Am I not the embodiment of a Philistine? This is what we're all like, he's saying. Do Saul's servants really want to fight us? Well, so Goliath proposes an option to keep the bloodshed to a minimum. I guess that's good of him, really. Uh, but it's a threatening proposal. He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. Well, the good news is the Israelites have such a man, of course, don't they? They have King Saul. And Saul was the, the, well, Saul was the closest thing that Israel had to Goliath. Remember what he looked like, uh, the description of, his, of what he looked like when he was chosen as king, when the people chose him. Uh, 1 Samuel 10 verse 23 and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Well, Goliath laid down the challenge. And we wonder where Saul is. It's a winner-take-all scenario. Verse 9. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Well, in the end, Goliath has proved a liar, isn't he? The Philistines don't submit to Israel at all. At the end, they run. But at this point in the story, the chances of, of Philistines becoming subject to Israel are slim at best, you would think. I wonder too, just looking at verse 9, look at verse 9 with me if you've got that open. I hope you do. Um, I wonder, was there some sort of brief silence after that thundering question or the, the, uh, this scenario, this winner-takes-all scenario? I, I wonder if... People were considering this. I wonder if anyone on the front line was saying, I can do it, I can do it. But there's no movement forward at all. There's no man of the between from Israel stepping forward. Goliath wasn't finished either. He thundered down again, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other, he says. Defy really doesn't cut it. Really, it, it's much, it's too weak. It's more like, I scorn the armies of Israel, I mock the armies of Israel. This guy was a truly terrifying enemy. We're not left wondering in this opening scene how dangerous Goliath was. 
Anyway, he's a representative. He's representative of a major biblical theme, and that is the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people. But if we trace that theme through the whole Bible, by the time we reach the New Testament, we discover that the enemies of God and his people are more terrifying and more powerful than even the most menacing man of the between who stood that day in the Valley of Allah. Friends, all of us face an enemy, an army of enemies as real and powerful and terrifying as Goliath. Death. Death wields its terrible sword and mocks us all. Sin threatens to bring us down and Satan prowls around looking for someone to devour. Well, our first little section closes with this sentence. Have a look at verse 11 with me. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For Israel that day, things were deadly serious. Especially as their leader, who God had told Israel in chapter 9, would save my people from the hands of the Philistines. Well, he was as quiet as a mouse. In the narrative, there's no distinction between Saul and Israel. See, both were equally dismayed and terrified. But this was not what it was meant to be like. Do you remember Hannah's prayer? Way back in chapter 2. We've got to go back a few years when we um, looked at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 at church here. 1 Samuel 2 verse 10. If you've got a Bible there, flick back. 1 Samuel 2 verse 10. Hannah prayed, Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This doesn't describe what's going on in the Valley of Elah. It's the Philistines who should have been shattered, not Israel and their king. The only strength and power we can see is with Goliath and his army. But of course we know the ending, don't we? We know the ending. And we can't help picturing that victory. Eventually we'll see that Hannah's words proved to be astonishingly true. But right now, let's just appreciate how much the words appreciate how much the words that will prove to be true did not seem to be true. Let's appreciate that just for a moment. Well, friends, we need to understand that there are real threats that cause us to fear. And perhaps it is sickness or loneliness. Or, or discomfort or mocking because of our beliefs, or even death. The truth is there are terrifying forces working against the follower of Jesus. Yet we know the words of Hannah have proven true, even more astonishing than in the days of Saul, because we know God's King Jesus. We know the Lord Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can look at whatever we fear and say, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
How will you not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about we pray? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord. This is a, it's a big scene. Father, it's a, a big enemy, but you're a bigger God. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus, we thank you that in him we have a Lord and Saviour. We thank you that you are a, savior, a sovereign over all. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not fear. Thank you, Lord, that we know that you are with us. Who then can be against us? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. See you next time.